If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. And remember, we believe this to be the inerrant, infallible Word of the living God, His message to us that He expects us to know as His people. So, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Men shall not live, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away, away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. This is the word of God. Good. Pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for each person here, Bible students, ready to hear from you, your words to our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would open our spiritual eyes and ears to hear the things that you have for us today. Each person in here, you have targeted for a special part of this talk. Please speak to each one of us. Help us to hear. Give us ears to hear what you are saying to us. You care for us, Lord. You know our area of need. So we desire to hear from you today those things you want us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know by now, the theme of Matthew is this. Jesus is the promised king. He has a Jewish audience, and Jesus is the king of kings that is going to come and reign on this earth. And we just finished our teaching in the book of Revelation. We know that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. Jesus is coming to reign as king of kings. And Matthew is devoted to the, to the Jewish people and by extension us about information about Messiah. Now last week we talked about Jesus' baptism, how he went 70 miles from Galilee, Nazareth and Galilee, all the way down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And we realized how important that was. There were several things that were going on here. I'll mention two of them that I think are the most important. Jesus was identifying with those he would save. He was identifying with sinners and in his death, burial, and resurrection. He is sinless, but he is identifying with us in his baptism. And secondly, and I think this is of utmost importance, and I think this really applies to us when we get baptized, Jesus was accepting his calling from Father. He was going to say, I will be obedient to you, Father. And then remember the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And the Spirit of God, I think, empowered Jesus to be able to do his ministry all the way to the cross. Now, remember how grievous it was for Jesus, because in Gethsemane, when he's getting ready to face this, at the final moment, he says, Oh, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, your will. And there's much for us to learn about this. Jesus always prayed according to the will of his Father. He came to do the will of his Father. He did his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And folks, I think that is to teach us that we 
traverse this thing called our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we are successful here. We tap into the Spirit's power. Now remember, you are residing in a body that has a flesh component to it and a born-again spirit component to it. And those two are in conflict all the time. The one that you feed, remember last week we had the two dogs, the one that you feed is the one that will dominate your life. Will you feed the fleshly person or will you feed the spiritual person? You don't even have to feed the fleshly person. The whole world is dedicated to the flesh. Every, all of our technology has to do with the flesh. God has given us his spirit that allows us to make faith choices instead of flesh choices. He's empowered us to do ministry. Now, Chuck Missler, in his book, Kingdom, Power, and Glory, gives us a little insight into how this whole thing works. So the first one I want to point to you is that this is actually a picture. Oh, there we go. I actually put new batteries in. But anyway, this is a picture of our body, soul, and spirit. We are composed in the body. Our soul is our thoughts, will, and emotion. Our spirit needs to be born again. This is dark. This is dead until the moment we are born again. The moment we say yes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes resonant within, gives us God's love, wisdom, and power, and gives us the ability to make faith choices instead of flesh choices. Now, the next slide. Now, this is when you're walking in the Spirit. You're making a faith choice. You can make a faith choice your soul, your thoughts, will, and emotion are, are consumed with God. You have the Spirit of God in you. You're yielded to the Holy Spirit. You're following the dictates of the Holy Spirit. Thus, your life is, is lived out. Remember, your thoughts, feelings, and emotions precede your actions. And you're living life bearing fruit. Now, you aren't producing the fruit. It's the Spirit of God in you producing the fruit in your life. Now, the next slide is the one that we generally live in. That's single-mindedness. We often live double-minded. Now, you tell me if this isn't the truth. Now, we, we gravitate. I, wanted, I actually wanted to have both slides on here, but they wouldn't fit, so I could go back and forth. But remember, these are emotional choices that we make, flesh choices, and we do this all the time. All the time when we vacillate between the spirit and the flesh. And it's carried out in our life, leading a flesh life. Life And we don't bear fruit with that. Our goal is to submit our whole lives in order to make faith choices, not emotional flesh choices. That's an important concept because you have the Holy Spirit within you that allows you to make these successful choices. You can tap into the power that God has given you. That is absolutely essential. Now, those who live a double-minded life predominantly, because I would suggest that we all that go in and out of this thing. We don't ever walk this out perfectly. But our goal here is to be more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ, walking more and more like Christ and less like the old us. But believe me, the old guy wants to come out. Remember? There he is. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, that dude comes up and stuck him back down. So, we yield to the Holy Spirit to do ministry. Jesus did his ministry, I believe, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And how that works, I don't know. But that is the truth. And he did his work on this earth through the power of the Spirit. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus did not 
lose his divinity. He set aside his divinity. He was always divine, always God, while he was walking this earth. And he was obedient to his father. And he had to fulfill all righteousness in Matthew chapter 3. And he was baptized, identifying with Jesus, identifying with Christ is identifying with that. We identify with Christ in our baptism with our death, burial, and resurrection of the old life into the new life. Jesus was accepting his calling. Now, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Because I think I'm yelling partially, but I think you'll hear this. <laughs> we glorify God by obeying God. Let me say that. We, we glorify God by obeying God. You have been part of the family of God. The whole purpose of the church, the number one purpose of the church is to glorify God. Secondly, to edify the saints. And then the thirdly, to carry out the Great Commission, to go and tell everybody about Jesus. But number one, we are to glorify God, and we do that best when we obey Him. And when we obey God, we please God. When we obey God, we please God. We please the Father. Notice what Father said to His Son at the baptism. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I extrapolated from that statement that when we obey God, it's almost as though we can hear, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. Because it is not easy to obey God here when all the forces of this world are trying to take you away from the true God. It is very tough. And when we overcome those forces through this power of the Spirit, it can almost like hear God saying, Oh, this is my child. I am so pleased with you. You made a great choice. Satan, remember this. Now, Jesus is baptized. He's got the Holy Spirit. I believe he always had the Holy Spirit, but he had a special endowment of the Holy Spirit. And now he's going to go out into the wilderness to be tested. Satan always, 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 when you've had a mountaintop experience, will come and try to destroy that experience. And that's what's going to happen here. Now, the Spirit's going to lead, God, lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. In verse 1 and 2, his character is going to be tested by Satan. And it's going to be in the wilderness. And I, and I want to just take a pause here for just a second. There are times in our life that we, we call them wilderness experiences. Those times when we have extreme stress, extreme things that are going on in our lives, and we're alone and we feel abandoned by God, and where are you, God, in this whole thing? I don't understand this. Those times of wilderness experience happen to each one of us. That is a place where we learn to trust God fully. You'll learn that more in just a second. But I want to suggest to you something else. I think that your whole life here is the wilderness. I think that your whole life here, you are not home. You are in enemy territory. You are in here where the wild animals are, wanting to eat you up and garble you up. And this is where, this, that's just normal life here. But it can't, it can't accelerate into what is classically called the wilderness. But I look at this whole thing as the wilderness. This is not home. We're only passing through here. So, verse 1 and 2. Then Jesus was, watch this, led by the Spirit. And in Mark 1.12, it says, driven by the Spirit. The Spirit of God drove him. This was, this was Jesus. He's going into the wilderness to be tested. Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards, he was hungry. Well, you bet he was hungry. 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the question is, what is being tested? 
And I think it's Jesus' character is being tested. Will he choose to follow Father or not? Now, he's, he's, being, he's being tested in his humanity. We know that in his divinity, he's going to pass the test. But I believe this is a real test. These are real stressors on Jesus. Now, what is character? That's a great question. What is character? We want to walk through this life with character that God gives us. It's strength of moral fiber. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. It's the excellence of moral being. Character is influenced by our choices. The choices that we make every day. Will I make a flesh choice or will I make a faith choice? And it depends upon who you're going to yield to. Are you going to listen to that little whisper in your ear that, oh, you should have this. This is so much fun. Just go and do it. It won't hurt anything. Or are you going to listen to the Spirit of God, which says, hey, don't go down that road. Don't go down. That's a hurtful road. It might be fun for a second, but it'll ultimately bring you pain and suffering. That is the question that we have to deal with. Daily, moment by moment, the tempter chooses his spots. He chooses his spots, and he is always looking for an opportune time. Now, what's an opportune time? A time when you're tired, cold, hungry, alone, disappointed, discouraged, sick, all those things. An opportune time. He comes to look. And what does he say? Your God has abandoned you. Your God can't help you. Look at this situation that you're in. And he whispers these lies and he's a deceiver and it happens constantly. Look at, you will have your character tested. You will. And you will pass your character test if you yield to the Spirit's power and make faith choices and not flesh choices. If you remain in Christ. Now remember what that is. It menno was the word dwelling in Christ, making our home in Christ. Look, if you have a cursory Christian relationship, if you have the typical American church relationship on Sunday morning for 20 minutes with, and, and, and think that's going to take you through your week, you are going to fail test after test after test. Hey, this thing called the life of character is cultivated daily with times with God, moment by moment, keeping God central in our life. When I'm in my workplace, when I'm, in a, when I'm at play, the, the Jews would call this the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And he, we love the Lord with all our God, with our heart, soul, and strength. And we'll keep God always before us, always before our eyes. That is how you walk through this successfully. Remain in Christ. Stay connected to your power source. And if you do not rely on your own strength and willpower. Oh, I have willpower. I won't do that again. Oh, sure. How many times have we failed that one? If you make faith choices and not emotional choices through the Spirit's power, you, are, you will navigate through this thing successfully. Jesus was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, a mountaintop experience, and then the test came. And listen, listen to this test. He is abjectly alone, separated from all earthly help. No family, no friends, no compatriots to turn to. And Satan loves the abandoned alone times that you feel. He loves that. That's, that's fodder for him. The stress-filled times. That's his opportune time. That's when he's going to pounce on you. 
1 Peter 5, 8 says, he's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Remember that lion in the, in, the, in, in, in the wilderness is always looking for that one that's alone, off by themselves, one that's easy pickings, that he can just garble up and kill. But what are we to do? In 1 Peter 5, 9, resist him. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And I was going to put the picture of the lineman up there, holding his ground, but I had too many pictures, so I just figured I'd leave that one out. But anyway, just picture the lineman, boom, or the, or the bull, the bull in the blizzard, not moving, steadfast in the faith. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, driven there by the Holy Spirit. You can, through the Spirit's power, overcome the tempter. And I would urge you to be an overcomer, not a succumber. Wasn't that clever? That is nice. An overcomer, not a succumber. Don't succumb to his temptations. Say no to him. Say no to his taunts, his deceptions, his distractions, and his discouragement. He's an expert at that. He's an expert at discouragement. The wilderness, folks, is only for a time. We will all be exiting this wilderness one day. And we will be home. I'm thinking, I'm, if I could, when I was younger, I could jump, okay? I would just jump and say, yes, one of these days we're going to be home and this wilderness experience will be over. Or the accentuated wilderness, that temporary time of it, in, in, in incredible stress that comes on us, that'll end also. That'll end also. Sometimes it ends slowly. Sometimes it ends long. Sometimes it will end when we're taken home. But it will end. And I want you to think about this. In Mark 1.13, Jesus endured these temptations for 40 days. And, he's, and it says he was with the wild beasts during that time. We just did a study on the beast. Now, I think they're talking about animals here, the jackals and the lions and the leopards and all that stuff. But there could be a, a deeper spiritual connection here. The beast of the demonic realm, just taunting and tempting and teasing and and, and stresses after stress on him. Enormous pressure. Hungry, thirsty, weaker, vulnerable. Now the wilderness. What is it? What, what is the wilderness? It's a time of God-ordained testing. And again, there's that, those times when we have this accelerated wilderness experience. But I want to suggest to you, your whole life is a time of testing. Will I be faithful to Messiah while I'm here or will I not? And then you have those accelerated times in the wilderness. Those things that we usually identify as, as the wilderness. Will I, will I be faithful or will I not? And there are no exceptions. Everyone is tested. There are no outliers. Everyone is tested. The wilderness is for everybody. And the wilderness is always unpleasant. It's always unpleasant. Jesus was alone in the desert of Judea. Cold, dark, hungry, wild animals and constant threats. The environment was awful. Critters were all over the place. I can just see the scorpions. I mean, when you get into the wilderness, hey, look, at when I was in Vietnam, there were, there were, we had scorpions and we had centipedes that you could not believe. I mean, these centipedes are this big, this thick, and when they bit you, they didn't kill you, but they hurt. Okay, these critters are in the desert. These critters are out there. And that's where Jesus was for 40 days. Unpleasant. The wilderness is never fun. And by the way, remember the wilderness is a test. How did you feel about taking a test? Surprise test today. 
Oh, goody, goody. You always had that kid in class that studied, and they couldn't wait for the test, you know. <laughs> I was never that one. I was like, a test? Really? Ah! Nobody likes the test. This, nothing, think about this. Now, I've spoken about the wilderness having two, two applications, the extreme applications, which we normally view as the wilderness, and just our general life. But there is a church in this world called the persecuted church. And it's in most of the world. See, we're living in isolation here in America. Our freedoms are being, are being tampered with now, and we're uncomfortable with the changes that we see. But folks, we have lots of freedom that other places in the world don't have. And these people are living in the wilderness constantly. And you know what they do? They will do anything to meet together. Wilderness travelers get strength from other wilderness travelers. And they will meet in caves, and they will meet in fields, and they will meet in basements, and they will meet in secret places, because that's how they have to meet. And they will do anything to get to these places in order to get encouragement and strength from one another. That's the, that, is, that, is, that is the real true church in, America, in the world. Now, the, in the West, where Christianity, real Christianity has really dwindled over the years. Okay, we have very much a different, different Christianity in Australia, Europe, America, Canada. It's not so much south of the border because they suffer a lot. And when you have places that are suffering, you have more of attachment to the true God. But where there's been this prosperity and that sort of thing, where we've benefited so much from Christianity, there's been kind of an abandonment of real Christianity. And then it, when I say the West, it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable topic. I think in most places, you won't hear people talk about the wilderness. It's too uncomfortable. It doesn't, it doesn't jive with my best life now. It doesn't, it doesn't match that. Remember, uh, the wilderness is a place of discomfort, and most people don't want to talk about the discomfort. What we learn in the wilderness is exceedingly important. You know, in, in the, I'm thinking about this. The traditional church would look at the wilderness and say something like, remember that thing, war, what is it good for? Wilderness, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. That is a lie. The wilderness is valuable. We learn something in the wilderness. We learn the following. And I think this is through your whole journey of life on this planet. The wilderness is a place we learn to rely on God alone. We rely on him. That is the main point. It's, it's where we learn who we are going to place our trust in. It's where I discover what I'm made of. Am I cotton candy or am I steel? Which one am I? Cotton candy or steel. The wilderness will test your metal. And those who survive the wilderness have an attitude. Remember Richard Farmer? He had that saying, I will trust in the Lord until I die. That's what you learn in the wilderness. I don't, know, care, I don't care what it looks like, sounds like, smells like. I'm going to trust in the Lord until I die. The wilderness is a place of testing. But listen to this. In the wilderness, I learn about myself, but I also learn that the God of the wilderness is also the God of the garden. He is the God of sunrises and sunsets. 
He is a God of beauty and flowers and everything that is great and wonderful. So the God of the testing in the wilderness in, the, in all those animals and critters is the God of beauty. And think about this. The wilderness is a place where the God of hope breaks through the fog of life, the chaos of life. And this scripture, I think, is so applicable. Romans 15, 13, it'll come up on the screen. May the God of hope, well, that song, we sang it kind of today. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you, that you may superabound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. The God of hope and grace will meet you in the wilderness. He's always there. He never has abandoned you. Even though you feel like you're alone, like Job, if I turn to the east, he's not there. If I turn to the west, he's not there. Where are you, God? And then Job comes to him and says, I know where I can find him. He's right here. He's not far. He's close. He's actually going through the thing with me. And remember this, Psalm 46.1, when you're in the wilderness, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth shakes and the oceans roar and foam, I will place my trust in my God. God is my refuge and strength. We learn in the wilderness, folks. Jesus was tempted and tested, and so are we. He's tested in three areas. The first one he's tested in, verse 3 and 4, is the flesh. The first temptation is the flesh. Verse 3 and 4. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God. Now, that is a first-class if or it means since, since you are the son of God. Have, make no question about it. Satan knows who Jesus is. Satan knows he is the son of God. This is not a question. This is a since you are the son of God. Command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil is a tempter, and he comes at an opportune time. Oftentimes, he comes with a def when we have a defined need. Here was hunger. But again, when you're sick, injured, relationships are crumbling, financial, emotional strife, spiritual strife, he picks those opportune times to come and test you. He is called the devil, the diabolos. The diabolical one. That is who Satan is. The diabolical one. The one who accuses. The one who divides. Now remember, God tests. It says in Scripture, God tests. But when he tests, it's tested. His testing is for the purpose of causing us to deal with the sin and come out of it approved. Dokimos. Genuine. Oh, but when Satan tests, it's always for our fall. It's always for our demise that we come out of it, the person comes out of it, a docimos, not genuine. That's what you want to remember. When God does it, it's to strengthen you. When Satan does it, he wants to destroy you. Satan is a tempter. He is a slanderer. He is an accuser. And he is a divider, magnificent. He is a liar and a murderer in John 8, 44. And I want you to hear this. The whole world is under his spell. 
Every human being born into this world are born into his kingdom and must be forcefully extracted from that kingdom by the Lord Jesus when they believe and receive the gift of salvation. He's the only one that can save people. There's no Buddha, Hindu, Islam, nothing. This is the true Jesus. He's the only one that can save us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, Colossians 1.16. And if you remember, I've said this, this scripture many times, that, that He's delivered us from the power of darkness. That delivered us, Rumai. And that means he's forcefully extracted us from the clutches of Satan and put us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That happens at salvation. That happens at salvation. That's something that has, has to occur for someone to be saved. Satan's first foray into tempting Jesus is this. If you're the son of God, do this. Do this. The test is straightforward. He's tempting Jesus to act independently of God. Now, isn't that something? That's, what, that's always the temptation, right? From Adam and Eve, act independent of God. Jesus knew his mission and purpose, total submission to the will of God. John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Folks, that is our mission, to do the will of our Father, to do the will of our Savior, to do the will of the one that, that, that sent us and put us here. Satan says this, command these stones to become bread. He's attacking him in a defined need. He's tempting Jesus to use his divine prerogative, his free will to act independent of God. And listen to this, all temptations, every temptation that comes and knocks on your door, on your brain, will come from one of three areas, the world, the flesh, or the devil. And Jesus is tempted in all three of these. How did Jesus deal with the temptations of the flesh? It's the way we deal with all of them. It is written. He went to the word of God. Deuteronomy 8.3, you shall not live by bread alone. Jesus is our example. We must know and memorize the word of God. That is not easy. It's, it's a discipline, but it is essential. In dealing with the devil, you must you know and use the Word of God. The Word of God is what? It's your sword. It's your sword. The sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6.17. Remember, the, Paul is using the illustration that he learned from Roman soldiers. They had a sharp sword, two-edged, and at a point. Slice and dice both ways. Stab, but it also could be a defensive weapon. So it's used both ways, offensively and defensively. The Word of God. And it's used in life and death battles. And I want to suggest to you, when you take out your sword of the Spirit, it is a formidable weapon that is unstoppable against this enemy. Unstoppable against Satan's schemes. Remember, he comes with us with his schemes in Ephesians 6.11. His methodia, his tactics are so well proven with humanity. And we know what his tactics are. Jesus passed the flesh temptation test. But Satan is hard-headed. And he keeps coming. And he keeps coming. And he's going to come a second time with a world test. Verse 5 through 7. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, 
the highest point in the temple grounds, and said to him, if you are the son of man, again, it's a sense, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. He's quoting uh, uh, Psalm 91. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And again, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now this is a world pride test. This is a world pride test. He takes him to the highest point of the temple. So everyone can see him. This is a performance for everybody. You're going to perform for them, Jesus. It's going to be a gigantic performance. Everybody's going to clap their hands. Oh, when the angels swoop in and pick you up. Christ was tempted to attract attention by doing something spectacular. Folks, this is pride. 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 Just in, in neon lights. Pride. To presume upon God to rescue him from something God did not tell him to do. Presumption. We've all been there. Catch Jesus in midair. He's going to take him. I have a picture of the Temple Mount. It's a little bit. You have these little things in it, but that's okay. He takes him. This is the Royal Stoa. This is the highest point. And you can't see this very well in this picture, but these are little bitty people down here. And what Satan wants Jesus to do is take a flying leap over here, a Peter Pan, and fly right down here and have the angels catch him and perform for all these people. And all the people will give him accolades and praises and that sort of thing. No, that was not for Jesus. Jesus responds, it is written. He pulls out his sword and he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. A little word on presumption. Oftentimes in this world, we presume upon God to bail us out of choices that we have made. That happens a lot, doesn't it? We've all walked down that, that presumption road. And I want you to realize when we confess our sins, Jesus, God will forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. But also remember that you set into, 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 into play consequences that will be played out. David had a tryst with Bathsheba, committed adultery with Bathsheba. He then has Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, killed. He's a murderer and he's an adulterer. And confronted by Nathan the prophet, the son that came out of that eventually died. And David prayed to be forgiven. And God forgave him. But consequences never left David's house. From that time on, his home was in turmoil. Presumption. Presuming upon God. We've all gone down the presumption road. The my way road. And I have a picture of a road. My way. My way or the highway. That's how oftentimes people say. But this road leads nowhere. It really does. It leads nowhere. There has to be an exit from this road. And on the next slide, we'll see an exit from this road. And God's cry to humanity is take the exit. Take my son. Believe, believe in him. Believe he died on the cross for your sins. Receive him as your savior. It's the only way to give you life. You have a choice. You go down the road and you can stay on the my way road or you can take the exit and have eternal life with God. There's only one exit. That's the Jesus road. The Jesus exit. No other exits will do. No other world religion will do. 
No good guy thing will do. I'm a good person. God's going to take me into his kingdom because I'm a really great guy. No, you're not great. <laughs> you're not going because you're a great guy. No. Now, think about this. How many times have you taken the My Way Road? My goodness, I can't count them. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's a plethora. I've taken the My Way Road. I don't like the My Way Road because every time I take the My Way Road, I get a licking. I get on the licking road, okay? And life is not so hot for me, not so great. Might be great for a moment, but it's not great. So I am so thankful for God's grace and his mercy. And a recovery verse for us is this. Psalm 103, 8 through 10. You've heard this before. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Aren't you glad? Slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he treat us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. He is gentle. He is gracious and he is merciful. And all I can say is, thank you, God, because I have taken the wrong road many times and so have you. Because you're a person. You're a human. You're here. I'm so thankful for the grace of God. Satan is not finished. He keeps coming with his most vicious of all temptations. The third temptation is the devil, verse 8 through 11. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. Again, it's always high. Get a great scope of all the kingdoms that Satan is in charge of temporarily here. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, Jesus has had it now with Satan. You get to the point where you get right up to here. Now, watch what he does. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. That's a command. That's a command. Satan's going to know who's in charge here. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And the devil left him. He had to. He was commanded to. And behold, Angels then came and ministered to him. Now, think about this. The devil is sly. He is presenting Jesus with something that he always presents us with, and that is a compromise. A compromise. Compromise your character, Jesus. Compromise your mission. Take an easier way. Avoid the cross. Take it easy. No suffering here. No sacrifice. Take my way. And that's what Satan always wants you to do. Take his way, the easy way, the compromise way. You can have all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus, if you just worship me, Satan. Compromise. Now remember, Jesus didn't say, this isn't for yours to give. is isn't yours to give. The scripture says that Satan is the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Jesus three times called him the ruler of this world in the book of John. He's called the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. He usurped rulership of this planet temporarily in the Garden of Eden with the fall of man. Mankind was to rule. Adam and Eve was to rule. We were to be all the rulers here. But our theocratic rulers failed their test. And think about this. Satan rules all the kingdoms of the world all world governments, I think unknowingly, are under his control. And again, like I've said earlier, all humans are born into his kingdom, are under his authority until they're extracted 
by the Lord Jesus Christ at salvation. All world religions are under his control except Christianity. We're under the authority of Jesus Christ. We have a different king. We have a different ruler. But all other folks, the billions of people on earth that are trapped in these false religions are in his kingdom, under his authority. And the world is heading to a global change, to a global ruler who Satan's man called the Antichrist, the beast. He is coming. He is coming. We know that. We studied it. And Satan could offer these these, these, these things to Jesus and, and, and suggest he compromise to avoid the cross, to avoid all the pain and suffering. Compromise is the devil's tool. He will come to you. Compromise your integrity. Compromise your character. Compromise your honor. Take the easy way. These words, these words have a way of, of, of Satan has a way of, of messing with our minds. Have you ever heard this? And you have. Be true to your heart. I had to be true to my true self. That's why I'm coming out. I had to be true to my true self. Oh, no, no. True to my heart. You know what God says in Jeremiah 17, 9? You know what he says. The heart is deceptively wicked, wicked above, above understanding, above cure. Who can understand it? You can't trust your heart. He wants you to compromise and make a flesh choice, to go around the will of God, to seek your own way. The world screams compromise. The world is your enemy. The, the flesh screams compromise. Your flesh that you're housed in that wants its own way is your enemy. The devil screams compromise and you know he is your enemy. Everyone's doing it is what's, what, what people say. Well, everyone's doing this. Everyone's doing it. it. Doesn't it make it right? We took a poll. We took a poll and everybody agrees with the poll. Forget the polls. Or how about this one? Well, you deserve this. You owe it to yourself. And this is a great one. Don't settle. Don't settle for this. Leave that person. Do this. Compromise. The triunity of evil's goal is compromise any way but God's way. Cheat on your husband and wife. That's no, or husband or wife. That's no big deal. Cheat on your taxes. No big deal. How about cheating your company? Well, they're a great big company. They don't need all these parts. Cheat. Cheat. That's always the temptation. Cheat on your schoolwork. Cheat on everything in life. You know, it happens in medical schools. How would you like your doctor have cheated his way through medical school? Happens in military academies. Happens in colleges, workplaces. Compromise your integrity. Compromise your character. It's always there. It's always in our face. Take the easy way. And Satan always promises you the world. Promises the easy way but he always underproduces. You always get something way worse than what he claimed you were going to get. You end up losing everything. He's a liar. He's a liar, and you end up losing big time. And I think this was the most intense of Jesus' temptations, the most intense to compromise. And Jesus handled it wonderfully, just like we should handle it. Jesus sets Satan straight, Away with you, Satan. Get ye behind me, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. You have the authority to say that. 
Get away from, say it right out loud. Away from me, Satan. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you can say when he comes knocking on your door. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The scripture tells us how to handle Satan's temptations. Now, if you've kind of gone off, this is time to come back. So everybody back in, back in, tells us how to handle it. Number one, you can make a faith choice instead of a flesh choice through the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Secondly, you can say no. No to his schemes. And say it with a little bit of, of conviction. Not, no, I don't think so. No. No. That's what about 90% of our, our, our young people need to hear. No. That's wrong. No, don't do that. <laughs> no. No to his schemes. Ephesians 6, 1. We're, we're aware of his methods. We're aware of his schemes. And we are instructed to flee the flesh. Flee the evil desires of youth. 2 Timothy 2.22. And then we are instructed by James to resist. Lineman again. Bull in the blizzard again. James 4.7. Submit yourself to God. That's always the first thing. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. You can only resist the devil if the Spirit of God is resident within you. You are fodder for the enemy if you are not born again. He will take you by the nose and you'll think you're winning and you think you're a good boy or a good girl, but he's leading you all over the place right where he wants you to go for your demise. For your demise. It's always for your demise. And Jesus wins this fight, this character fight, and the angels come and minister to him. Now think about this. I think that this, this fight went on through the whole 40 days. It intensified at the end. But I think these demonic beasts were out there beforehand, kind of messing with Jesus through that whole desert experience. Also think about the good angel realm and how they're poised and how they want to get into this fight and how they want to get down there and save their, save their Lord, their God, their master, their ruler, their owner. And now they can and they go and minister to Jesus when he's physically weakened. And they render aid to Jesus, who is their God. Satan always comes. The temptations always come. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Closing thoughts. People have many views of who the devil is. I mean, remember Flip Wilson? You know, the devil made me do it. Well, you're going to find the devil doesn't make you do anything. C.S. Lewis said two errors people make with the devil. Number one, too much emphasis on the devil. There's the devil of adultery. There's a devil of divorce. There's a devil of drugs. There's a devil of alcohol. It's always the devil, not the person. Folks, own your sin. Own your sin. The devil cannot make you do anything. He tempts you. He knows the carrot to dangle in front of you. Each one of us has our own little thing. We're all different. He knows what you need, what you want. And he'll dangle it there and hope that you grab onto it, take the hook, and it end up being reeled in, experience the consequences of it. Number one, too much emphasis. Number two, they do not believe in the devil at all. No devil. And remember, the target is always the mind or the soul. That's where the war is waged in the mind. 
How does Satan have access to our mind, to our soul? How does that happen? Through our God-given senses. And you'll see this little picture up here. This is our brain. We have inputs from these senses. Now, this is the way you can remember your five senses. You have to remember five things. Look at your head. Sight. Hearing. Smell. Taste. There's an order, okay? And what am I using? Touch. Those are the senses. On the next slide, you will see that we are body, soul, and spirit. And again, our spirits are dead until we are born again. Our soul, our thought, will, and emotions are affected, are affected by our five senses. We get inputs into here. And the whole battle for, that Satan has, that he rages, is for the control of the soul, the mind. Again, thoughts, feelings, emotions. Now, with that picture... Think about this. Now, you know you've been here many times, and we've, I've elaborated on this many times. We are the most overstimulated, over-technologicalized, whatever the word might be, people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. We have been overwhelmed with constant inputs, and the vast majority are negative. Now, technology can be used for good, but because we're depraved as humans, it is generally, I think the balance is way out, way out of whack. Way out of whack. Our fallen nature is geared for the negative. Do you ever wonder why there's so much negative campaigning when you, get, when you have elections? It's because we are geared for the, for the negative. Our fallen natures are geared for it. It takes five or six positive inputs to, to, to neutralize one negative statement. That's the way we're, 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 we're wired. Our brains are simply not wired for this constant, negative, ungodly inputs that we get. We are not wired for it. We are just not wired for it. This is, this is, this is, this is us. Isn't this the picture of most people? Overwhelmed by all the technology... All the YouTubes, all the Facebooks, all the Vimeos, all the, all the stuff. And it's constant. There's never been a generation that has experienced this. Never. And I would suggest to you this. Satan's ploy is use this technology to occupy your mind. To keep your mind stimulated, constantly active, leaving no time to meditate on the things of God. There's technology that is coming that is off the rails. Coming to our country is the giant. Coming to our country is the giant. There's this picture of the giant coming. Now this giant can trans be transformed in any form. You can have you can have you can put a person here or anything. This in my mind is a prelude to antichrist setting up an image of himself in the temple that will breathe and that will talk, and that will deceive the world, and insist that the world bow down and worship him. We have this kind of technology today. Now, I don't know if that's going to be some sort of miracle that Satan pulls off there, but you can see the potential today that you could not see in the past. 
We are living in that epoch of time known as the end times. The end times. There's a giant coming. And folks, in the midst of all of this chaos that we live in, this chaos that we live on, it's Jesus to the rescue. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. To set you free from the world, flesh, and the devil. And remember, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now, what we need to navigate through these troubled waters, I believe we need God's wisdom. God's wisdom. God's hachma. I love the word. You know, just get rid of the spit. Wisdom. It's the ability to judge correctly, skillfully, wise in mind and word or action. Proverbs 2.6 says this, The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. God gives wisdom. He who finds me finds life. And favor from the Lord. Speaking of wisdom. God's wisdom is imparted to the believer. Will shield their minds. From the onslaught of the world. Let me take, give you a suggestion. Take a break. From technology. This will not be easy. And practice the presence of God. Now I am struggling with this. I will be honest with you. Put your phone down. Really? 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 You're not that important. You don't have to have, be a, you're not on call 24, you, you are not that important. Put your phone down for just a second. Do a little fast from YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and 24-7 negative news. It's all negative. I don't care what network you listen to, it's all negative. It's putting negative stuff into your mind. Allow your mind to rest and practice the presence of God. Let's let Chuck Swindoll help us relax our minds. Now, you have in your person a handout. That you, it's page three of your notes. And on page three, you can take this and put it on your refrigerator. Make copies for your other rooms that you might be in. And he gives us this suggestion, how to deal with satanic overload, the technology overload. And number one is stop. Take a hard stop. And he says this, we are commanded to stop literally, rest, relax, let go, and make time for God. Take a hard stop. Secondly is solitude. And he says this, solitude is an oasis of the soul where we see ourselves and others, especially our God, in new ways. We can only do that when we get alone with God and allow Him to speak with us. And then surrender. Surrender everything to God. Complete, unqualified reliance on the living God. And finally, trust in the sovereignty of God. God is in control of this thing on, on earth. Don't get into a panic attack because of what you see unraveling. We have studied the book of Revelation. We have studied the book of Daniel. We know what's coming. And we of all people are to rise above what is happening in our world and be an encouragement to other people around us and say, the king is coming. The king is coming and he's coming soon. I mean, the signs are like right before our eyes. It couldn't be any more clear. How do we deal with satan satanic overload? Stop, solitude, and s surrender, and sovereignty. 
In this you will find your peace in a world of chaos. This is how we deal with Satan. This is how we maintain our character and our integrity, our sanity in an insane world. We must stop solitude, surrender, and rely on the sovereignty of God. And then practice the presence of God. And there'll be a picture that comes up here. I just thought, I just like this. The presence of God. Take time and practice the presence of God. Father, you're with me. I know you're with me. Speak to me. I want to hear from you, God. I bow before you. Practice the presence of God. Psalm 119.15 says this. I will meditate on your precepts. I will contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will meditate, ponder, think deeply, contemplate intensely. Folks, it is written. Use your sword. This is how we deal with Satan. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. And Lord, just please, I know that you speak to each one of us differently. Uh, if someone today does not know you as their Savior, they've been pretend Christians, they've been kind of faking their way through this, not quite sure of what it means to be saved, I pray that today is the day that they say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in their heart that Jesus died for their sins, was buried, rose again the third day, and say, yes, Jesus, I believe you did that for me, that you died in my place, and I receive you as my Savior you can be saved today by simply doing that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this time together. Now as we get ready to celebrate communion, help us to be mindful of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.